This is Higher Ed Heroes with Dr. Sebastian Kempf and Dr. Alistair Stark. Hi and welcome to Higher Ed Heroes. My name is Seb. And my name's Al. This podcast is about transformative moments in the classroom. We believe that these moments, when we bring our classrooms to life, can often be achieved by making small changes that are easy to adopt. And very importantly for those small changes is that they are communicated in simple ways by great teachers who know that these practices make a difference to their students. And of course, our idea is that you come in as listeners, attentively listening to what these teachers have to say, reflect on their practices, and perhaps borrow something that might work in your own classroom. We know your time poor and very busy, so we want to communicate these lessons in a jargon-free way. That's why we have the jargon-free teaching buzzer. No! When we hit the buzzer, it's because we've heard some buzzwords that we might think are more at home in teaching committees or faculty meetings. So, let's introduce this week's guest, Seb. Absolutely, and with tremendous pleasure. Our guest today here in the studio is Dr. Lee Sperker. Lee is a lecturer in the School of Human Movement and Nutrition Sciences here at UQ. I think it's the first one we have from your school here on the mm. program. Lee, welcome. Thank you. Lee, you centre student learning in your classroom around teamwork and finding solutions uh, as a team. And immediately in the very first session, your students start off with a, an escape box exercise, which we find very exciting. Can you introduce this to our listeners? My students are from the Bachelor of Health, Sport and Physical Education program, and they spend their first year doing sciences with hundreds of students from different programs. So my course is one of the first where they're working with just the 30 to 40 students that are going to be in their degree. They enter my classroom and they see on the screen a timer that says 45 minutes and they're asked to sit in groups of five and at the desk in front of them there's three pencil cases that are numbered that are locked with a zip tie and a combination lock and they're asked to work through a series of challenges to answer questions to unlock them in the time that they've been given. This is amazing already. <laughs> I'm very excited. to escape the room in the classroom. So the first question is, what drama series have you been watching that's inspired this? Um, um, it was actually going to a professional development here at UQ and they were talking about escape boxes in a learning capacity, but I think I learned a lot more about teamwork in that and communication, so I decided to transfer it to my own so classrooms. The, clock, the clock's ticking? The clock is ticking. And what do they have to do? What's the, what's the process? The first activity that they have to do is work through a crossword puzzle and it's all about learning about the course. So they've got a poster that says ask three and then ask me and there's three icons on the poster that have the course profile, the Blackboard learning site and then their peers. So they have to go to those sources of information to learn about the assessment that's going to happen in the course, to learn about my expectations of them in the course and they get to a point where they can't answer anymore and then that's when they come to me and I give them the next part. So I'm reinforcing in that process that it's fine for you to ask questions to me but you can only do so once you've gone to these other sources and it's dramatically reduced the amount of emails that I get from students because they know if they email me and it's in the blackboard for example my response is the answer to that is one of the three things that you have to go to before you talk to me. And I love how you in a way use something that students don't like going through the kind of broad administrative aspects of a course deadlines assignment things all that kind of stuff, but in a playful way that comes as a competition with time 
going on. I think that's that's really smart. And I'd like to ask you to talk us through what happens after that exercise, because I think that's a really important step, right? Where you now open that up from that exercise to talk to them about principles of teamwork, strength, assets, issues, and the problems that come with it. So give our audience a bit of a sense of that next step in the process. So the debrief after is really important. So it's explaining things like that poster and saying this is why it's there, this is an expectation that's there in the course. So I explain that. There's also a few things that happen when I explain the first puzzle. I explain things about my expectations of myself as a lecturer and then get them to co-construct and we go through a padlet about what they're going to bring to the course. So they get a list of rules about what they're going to do as students for the rest of the term. We also do activities about academic integrity. So it's zip ties so I've had students try and cut them open and like google the answers and try and find the solutions so we have conversations about academic integrity and what I expect and don't want them to be doing in my courses and then the second activity that they have to do the second puzzle that they open is multiple activities that you can't do all at once Um, you can't do one at a time you have to split them up amongst the group so we discuss how they tackled that particular pencil case with lots of activities and talk about how did you tackle it as a team did you try and do one at a time all together or did you figure out who was the best at one activity and split it up that way and we have conversations about teamwork in that process so we talk about who have you encountered at university already in terms of group assignments and we go through a list of the high achiever, the micromanager, the ghost who doesn't show up to anything, the four student and we talk about the pros and cons of each of those types of students. I get them to identify who they think they are, what the strengths and weaknesses are of that position and how they're going to work with that understanding of themselves for the rest of the semester in any group-based assignments. This is amazing, it's reflection on the challenges of the course and academic practices a practical question how much time do you you give them what's on the clock when they come in it's 45 minutes so they've got a decent amount of time 45 minutes three puzzles and pencil cases what other kit do you need that was it so it's very low tech so the pencil cases i spent a lot of time cutting things out and laminating them Uh, but other than that yeah it wasn't too much to do this and then each year i just update things slightly so it doesn't take too much time to do each year and it's immediately fun People are having fun from the word go, I would imagine. It's very silent as they're doing it. Like you can hear the murmurs of them working as a group, but it's when a group finishes that you really hear the kind of tension break and they start laughing with each other and going, oh, we did it. Some groups get up and start talking to other groups about the process that they're in. So it's tense at first, but my students tend to be quite competitive. So they are doing that competition. And I think it's the buzz after that shows that I do think they enjoyed the process. So what we have now listened to is just the beginning of your course and I think that activity that you just have described really sets the tone from off the beginning very clearly about the philosophy that you have the philosophy of a shared learning environment and as you told me before you do not see yourself as a lecturer but rather as you call it as a quote meddler in the middle so I'd like to know what that is like to be meddling in the middle what does it mean for you there's typically an idea that you're either a sage on the stage and you're giving advice to the students, you're the one in control and you're giving them knowledge, or there's a guide on the side who you just let the students do the work. I like being somewhere in between that and that's where the middle in the middle comes in, in the sense that you're setting up authentic and problem tasks for them to go through but you're letting them do that work, sit with the confusion, sit with the struggle, and then you're providing prompting questions so that they can achieve success. So it's giving them that space to struggle 
figure out things themselves and then you prompt them and mediate their learning experiences. So it's kind of in between the two that usually exist. And have you always been that or have you tried the two other extreme positions first and then eventually landed on the meddling in the middle? I think I started more on the sage on the stage in terms of that's how I was taught when I went through the degree. I felt it was more a lecture at the front of the room giving information and you had to learn it as a student. So I don't think I've gone to the extreme of guide on the side, but I definitely started in that typical teaching to students rather than getting them engaged. And then I shifted to that in-between space. And you liked the sage in the sage or when you were being taught by the sage, you thought, hmm, this isn't for me, there's better ways to do it? Yeah, when I've taught on the sage on the stage, I haven't enjoyed it because I feel like I'm just giving information. I'm not getting anything back from the students. And I get so much joy from the conversations I have with them, asking them about why they're approaching a task the way that they are, why they've gone that way rather than another way. So I learn so much more when I am the meddler in the middle. I get to know them more and how they learn. That's interesting how you learned to find your role. How do your students respond to being thrown into that exercise right away, being taught through a lot of teamwork and exercises? And how do they respond to you being a, a meddler in the middle? They definitely enjoy the teamwork as aspect. They like working with each other, especially given that first year context where it's kind of isolated. They don't know people in their own degree. When they come into mine, they do enjoy getting to know each other a little bit more and they finish being a really tight knit group. I don't know how much they enjoy being the meddler in the middle at the start because it is a new way of learning and it is giving them that space to be confused for a period of time. So I'm not giving them that answer. I think sometimes there's annoyance that I'm not going to give them the solution. So this year I had a student go, oh, I'm not sure I like the way you think, Lee, in terms of the work that you're making me do in the very first session. But by the end of it, they appreciated that idea of I helped them in the learning process rather than just giving them the answer. How does meddling actually look in, in the moment of the classroom? So I tend to circulate around the room. The space that I have are small group tables, so five or six students at them. I go around to each table, ask how they're approaching the task, why they're going that way, ask if they've considered another direction, so kind of give advice with my knowledge and expertise of the subject of where I think they should go. So it is a lot of question based of what they're doing, why they're doing it, getting them to think about their thinking, why they feel that way, if they're confused, how to overcome it. And are the tasks introduced uh, in the same way as the pencil case just you walk in <laughs> there's a pencil case and a clock or are you building outside of the room as well for the task most of the time they have uh, interactive videos and pre-workshop activities that they have to engage in so that's one of the things that comes up in the first escape room they can't answer the question unless they've watched the introduction video so at one point in when i'm introducing the course i say i pause and say you'll need the number one for this course for, for week one so they learn from the start that they need to engage in those videos and then i often start with a kind of overview of what the workshop's going to look like before I go into an activity. So they have a sense of what, what they're going to do, not why, and then it's the activity and then I do that debrief. So the debrief becomes really important to make sure that they have got to the spot that you want them to get to in their learning. You know what I find interesting and I think it's quite important here for context is that you once were a student in the course that you are teaching now. But the way that you experienced that course as a student was fundamentally opposite from what it is, what it has become under your own convenership. Uh, very traditional, not very interactive, as opposed to, you know, being quite innovative, interactive and certainly fun and, and, and unconventional. How did you go about making those radical changes? And what's your advice for listeners about making such a course overhaul? 
My advice is one thing at a time. So I've started to think about it like buying a house. When you buy it, you live in it, you change the things immediately that you absolutely can't live with, but then you stay with it for a period of time and you figure out what works, what doesn't work, what do I really want to change? So you can think about that with the course as well. You don't get in there and absolutely change everything. You change one small thing at a time. Yes, you can demolish the house and start again, which I think some teaching innovations are pitched like that, build from the ground up. But I think it's more manageable and more productive to do small changes over time where you can see what works, test it out. If that works, continue, try new things. So that one small step at a time is really important. That's something we hear a lot, isn't it? Don't rush to innovate on a wholesale basis. It could be terrifying and labour intensive, but just keep moving through these small changes. You get confidence when you do the small changes and you can see if it works. If you do that whole demolisher course and start from scratch, you're not sure if it will actually work for the students that you engage with. Whereas if you do one small thing at a time, you can test it out, see if they engage and learn in that way, and then do another one in that same sense. Are we talking about flipped classrooms? No. Without talking about flipped classrooms? For the last time, no. Is that what we're doing? Yes, I've been trying to avoid that term, but yes, I do interactive videos beforehand and then yes. they come in and do the more intense work in the class with me. Hmm. Yeah, I thought we were, I thought that's what we were talking about. You did very well not to mention that phrase. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, Elle fell into that trap. Yeah. Well, but, you know, what I find remarkably is that you are articulating ideas and practices that I haven't come across yet. I think are very creative and there's lots of thought very clearly going into that. Where do you take your ideas from? I do tend to do a lot of professional developments in that space, even if it's something completely different to the teaching that I'm doing. But I go there partly to hear what other people are doing, but partly to have conversations with other people who are teaching. So I find so much value in having conversations with how people teach. It might be a completely different context and you might take what they've done and transform it for your own work. But the more you hear about other people teaching and what they do, the more you can transfer that into your own work. I really like the idea of students walking in for the first time and being confronted by something completely different that makes them talk. And I really, really like the idea of that thing being something that allows them an insight into the process of how they're going to learn. And I also like the idea of a ticking clock. It's kind of like Jack Bauer. What was that show? 24. 24. I was immediately thinking about that. the clock ticking and a bit of pressure. But the need to bring people together I think that sounds awesome this could be a potential one for me to steal and again it's in the spirit of as you were saying Lee the advantage we get from listening to other people talking to other people about what it is that we're doing right John Hattie who is someone who is featuring either before this episode or after this episode we don't know yet is someone who says that's one of the most important things for teachers to actually talk about how they do it and what it is that they're doing that's something that I found really important. So when I was doing that cutting and laminating that I told you about, a colleague walked past and asked me what on earth I was doing. And we just had an informal conversation about it. And she ended up changing her first activity in her workshop to be something that was more interactive and then came and told me all about it after she had implemented it. I decided in my school to have a space for teaching and learning conversations. So we have a really vibrant research seminar series, but it was only informal hallway conversations where we could talk about teaching. So now there's a dedicated space in the school for people to share their practices, hear what other people are doing, transfer it to their own context. And I think it's that communication about teaching that's really important. Lee, I'm very, very impressed and I'm very thankful that you made it to join us here and talk about the awesome things 
that you're doing. And if you as a listener liked what you heard, please check out our other episodes or find us on various social media channels. Thanks for joining us and we look forward to having your company again.